we're going to be engaging together in what the gospel means in the life of the believer. And it has to do with our own identity. Because we need to understand that the gospel lived out is not just something we do. It's the reality of who we are. And when we believe the gospel, we are a different person. We are now seeing ourselves as ambassadors in this world for Jesus Christ. And this week, Phil Ward has done an excellent job in writing some devotionals that are challenging us to understand our true identity in Christ and how living out this gospel is a part of who we are and not just something we do. We're also going to be learning about the fact that we're in this world as pilgrims. We're aliens and strangers here. So there's times when living this thing out feels a bit uncomfortable. We'll be picking up and talking together about how we can encourage one another, how we can understand better why we are treated the way we are sometimes in the world. And rather than being discouraged by those things, we'll be energized by knowing that just as the world treated Jesus as he lived out this truth of good news, so also the world will treat us. And the joy is knowing that as we do that, Jesus Christ is glorified and his gospel advances and his kingdom is built. I want to say thank you for all that you're doing to be a part of this and for the things we're learning together that God is going to use to touch the world. If you have your Bibles today, I'd like you to turn with me, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to be looking at a passage today about the gospel and the believer, about the good news of Jesus Christ, that he died for our sins, that he was buried, that he raised the third day, and he appeared, and he's alive, and he's still saving people who believe in him and giving us the gift of eternal life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul begins talking about our identity as Christians. And this means a lot to me. I think it means a lot to a lot of us. Uh, Many of you didn't know me before you came to the church here, but I can confidently tell you I am not the guy I used to be. Jesus changes us. I still have a lot of flaws. I have more flaws than probably my fair share. But I'm a different person, and so are you if you're a follower of Christ. Our life isn't defined by what we do or our achievements. Our life is defined by who God says we are in Christ. And that's what Paul was talking about when he wrote this in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it's also plain to your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what's in the heart. If we're out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we're in our right mind, it's for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, 
and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are, therefore, Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Let's pray for a moment. Father, where would we be without you? I shudder sometimes to think of where I'd be today without you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for still saving all of us who believe, washing away our sins, giving us new life. And I pray today, God, that as we open up this word, you'll speak to us and help us to see what radically different people we can be when you come to live in us by faith. Thank you, God. As imperfect as we are, you are still perfect and seeking to live that life out through us. That's the good news of the gospel and the believer. And we'll thank you today in your precious name. Amen. Years ago when I was at uh, Multnomah University, one of our profs named David Needham wrote a book called Birthright. And in that book, he posed a question that you would think would be a no-brainer. He simply asked one of life's fundamental questions. Christian, he said, do you know who you are? Now, in reality, most of us don't. In fact, when people ask us our identity questions, it usually goes something like this. Who are you? Well, I'm Larry. Well, I didn't ask you your name. I asked, who are you? Uh, I'm Larry, Carla's husband, my kid's dad. I didn't ask you about your family connections. I'm asking, who are you? <laughs> I'm Larry, uh, pastor of Golden Hills. I didn't ask about your role in life. I didn't ask about your job assignment. I'm asking you, who are you? You see, most of the time when people ask us identity questions, we answer in response to what? Something we've done, a position we hold in relation to some other family members that we have. Those are most often our identity answers. And what's important about that is our identity determines how we live. And if we're focused in on just those things that we do and just those things that we think we are or things that we have accomplished, we miss our whole identity. Pastor Phil this week in the uh, very challenging and thought-provoking devotionals reminds us of such a narrow focus he calls identity myopia. Identity myopia, he said, is the idea that we focus on something in our lives so intensely that all other things remain obscure and out of focus. As the idiom goes, we miss the forest for the trees. For many of us, we focus on the most present and pressing things to the effect that we ignore the full picture of what God has done in the gospel, and we settle for a reduced identity. 
identity myopia, he said, prevents us from seeing the full picture of how the gospel gives us our new identity. And that's important because how you see yourself will determine how you live. Pastor Phil went on to say in the workbook this week, fundamentally our identity is a product of what we center our lives around. Whatever we center our lives around is what we worship. And what we worship becomes our de facto God. It becomes most important to us. This is why the gospel is so vital, because it helps us to see our new identity in Christ. In fact, when Paul was writing, the apostle said in verse 11, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, to respect God ultimately. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God. And I hope it is also plain to your conscience. It's plain to God. What we are is plain to God. That word plain means to make visible, to make it clear. Paul said, God sees clearly who we are. Now he said, I hope to your conscience, you'll be able to see clearly who you are, that you won't judge yourself the way the world does. You won't see yourself trying to establish your identity by how they define you. You won't see yourself and others the way the world does. You'll see yourself the way God sees you. That's why he said in verse 16, so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. A worldly point of view from a human fleshly perspective. See, we don't determine our identity in a worldly way, Paul said. We determine our identity in a godly Christ-like way. Paul said we made that same mistake with Jesus. Many of us missed his true identity because we're evaluating him the way the world evaluates everything. And so we missed his true identity. We didn't see who God was revealing who he was, and we don't want to make that mistake with us or with you anymore. We are not going to let the world define who we are. We are not a product of our achievements. Our value is not determined simply by what we contribute. Paul said we have value because we are made in the image of Christ. It's not who I am that matters. It's who I am in Christ that has mattered. We're in week four together in our series of studies together called The Gospel, Living the Good News of Jesus Christ. So far, we've learned that the gospel is the good news of salvation, forgiveness that comes to those who believe in the death, burial, resurrection, and appearing of Jesus and invite Christ into their lives. When people believe this, they stop trying to earn their salvation, but instead by faith they accept the gift that God is offering purchased on the cross through the sacrifice of Christ. And when you become a Christian, you take on a new identity. Paul said in verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. And Paul reminds these believers and all of us that the gospel is the good news of our new identity in Christ. What is the good news of our new identity? Our old self is gone and the new is here. The good news of the gospel is that in Christ our old self is gone. Paul said in verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
My brother-in-law and sister-in-law live in San Jose in a district called Willow Glen. Old houses uh, that they bought years and years ago, less than 100,000. Now a, a thousand square foot house in that neighborhood is worth a million dollars. It's amazing what happens over time. There was a house that went up for sale in that neighborhood which was stuck out like a sore thumb. This place looked like a rat trap from the outside. It's you know, sitting in this nice neighborhood of nice homes. So when it went up for sale, out of curiosity, I went in to look around. Man, you can't, this place was a dump. I mean, it was thrashed. The floors were uneven. The walls were crooked. Nothing in there was up to code. The roof had leaks in it. The concrete outside was cracked. The fireplace obviously was not built up to code. And I thought, man, this place is a total gut job. So I went over to the realtor. I said, what are they asking for this place? He said, 750000 So whoa. And you know the miracle? Somebody bought that place. Somebody bought it. Carla and I went by last weekend. The house is completely gone. Completely gone. I mean, there's nothing there. No building. No roof. No fireplace. No foundation. No sidewalks. No driveway. No wire sticking out of the ground. No pipes coming in. Nothing. In fact, if you went to that site today, you'd have never known there was even a house there. Completely gone. That's the language the apostles using when he describes the old us before we met Jesus and now have come to him. If you are believing in Christ, he said, your old life is completely gone. And boy, am I grateful for that. That's good news. Paul said in verse 16, from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone. The new is here. The word old is the word for original, ancient. It's the Greek word from where we get our word archaic, which has been used to describe me in a few settings. The old life is gone, but the new has come. The old life is gone. The word has passed away. It has perished. It is no longer. What is that old us that passed away in Christ? The Apostle Paul said it was our old worldly life, our sinful life, our fleshly life. It was our life of sin separated from God that exalted self and denied Christ. It was a life that was lived, and I lived it. It was a life lived totally out of our flesh, out of our sinful nature. Paul described it in part like this. Ephesians 2, verse 1, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. That was me. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Paul goes on to say to the Ephesian church in Ephesians 4, verse 18, they're darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. People, I hate to admit, I'm embarrassed to tell you that was me. I was capable of that and more. In fact, take some time to read down through Romans 1. 
and see all the ways our old self lived and all the things our old self used to produce before we met Jesus. It's an ugly list. Women, he says, having relations with other women. Men having relations with other men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error, filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. Does that sound like our world? Gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful, they invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. And all they, though they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. More than that, we elect people who will then make laws to reinforce our sin and allow us to be able to do it. This is how bad it gets, and I was like that. Paul said in Ephesians 2, verse 12, remember, at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. You want some good news? 1 Corinthians 6, 11. Paul said, and that is what some of you were. That's what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. That's who we were, but we're not anymore. The old is gone. Do I still sin? Of course I do. I won't be free of sin totally until I'm home with Jesus. The, the cross of Christ and his sacrifice saved me from sin's penalty. Now I'm overcoming, learning how to overcome sin's power in my life. And someday I'll be removed from sin's presence completely. I'll be at home with Jesus. Pastor Phil said in the workbook this week, I can't emphasize this enough. If you're a Christian, then God has accepted you because of Christ. Accepted, adopted, forgiven people will still sin because the war within is not over. But our sin does not cause us to be unacceptable before God. If we are ever accepted before God, he said, it's always because of Christ. So our acceptance is based upon the meritorious work of Christ and the gospel. You know what it's like. I remember what I was like before I met Jesus. There were times I got so disgusted with my life, I'd try to stop sinning, but I could barely do it. Or I'd get one area uncontrolled and I'd break out in 10 others. Paul said in Romans 6, it's because we're slaves to sin. We don't even realize it. Sin has a hold on us. And Satan doesn't want to let that go. He doesn't want you glorifying God or knowing the hope of who he is and what you could be in Christ. I used to be a slave to sin, separated from God, lost, without hope, powerless, a child of the evil one, and destined for an eternal hell. That's what the Bible says. That's where I was. But not anymore. That old me is gone. And people, that's good news. I still have tons of flaws, but I'm not the man I used to be. It isn't about me anymore. It's about Jesus. That's the good news. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And not only that the, that the old self is gone, but the good news of the gospel is that in Christ our new self is here. Not that the new self is coming, it's here. Paul said in verse 17, therefore if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ 
and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. That's good news. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are, therefore, Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers, he said, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. I was reading a piece by uh, Len Sullivan. He's a pastor in Tupelo, Mississippi. He was telling about his grandparents who got married in the 1920s. And in the 1930s, Grandpa promised Grandma that he'd build her a new house, and she was elated. They lived in an old house, clapboard house, with an, a hall down the middle, and uh, this new house was going to be so beautiful, brand new for Grandma. Well, he went on to say, much to Grandma's dismay, many of the materials of the old house were reused in their new house. They used old facings and doors, many other pieces of the finishing lumber. Everywhere my grandma looked, he said, she saw that old house, old doors that wouldn't shut properly, crown molding split and riddled with nail holes, unfinished window trimming. It was a source of grief to her. All her life, she longed for a new house, but didn't get it. And there's a lot of Christians who see themselves just like that, that were like some kind of rehab job. that we aren't really made new. And believing that, we let too much of that old stuff control how we see ourselves rather than living out of the new identity that God's given us. People, we're not a rehab project. We're made completely new. Oswald Chambers, man, great, great teacher of the Word in the last century, I was reading one of his devotionals called My Utmost for His Highest. You know what he reminds us of in there? God didn't save us and set us apart just so he could show the world an improved version of us. He saved us and set us apart so he could show the world through us his son. It's not about just us being a remade better version. It's that the old is gone, and now he wants to use our life to show the world who Jesus is. We are new. We share his identity. The old is gone. The new is here. Not the new is coming. The new is here. When Christ comes to live in you, we're not a remodel. We're a new creation. Paul said in verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. The new is in the new as in our new nature. We're a new person. We were not before. Before, all I had was a sin nature. Now I have Christ living in me. I can't be the same as I was when he wasn't there. I'm a new creation, a completely new spiritual creation of God. And someday, I'll be so completely new, even in body and appearance, I'll look like Jesus. This old shell that's dying, it's going to get replaced, completely redeemed. How new are we? Paul said, we are reconciled to God. You see what he said in verse 18? All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. People, I love this word reconcile. It isn't just 
two people making amends, it means an exchange has taken place. And the exchange God's talking about, the word reconciliation means where God exchanges an, a, an enemy to become his friend. When I was living in sin, I was in rebellion against God. I would have never used those words, but that's how I was living. I wasn't living for God. I wasn't listening to him. I was doing what I wanted to do. I was in rebellion against God. I was his enemy. I wasn't living for him. God said, when you receive me, Larry, into your life, I reconciled you to me. I exchanged you from being an enemy. Now you are my friend. You're in relationship with me. How new are we? We're God's children. The Apostle John said in John 1 in his gospel, verse 10, he, Jesus, was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. John will write later in John chapter 8 of his gospel that when Christ is not living in you, you are a child of the devil. That doesn't sell a lot of books. It isn't popular, but it can save your life if you understand what he's saying. Now we are children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. That's why the same John would write later in 1 John 3 verse 1, see what great love the Father has lavished on us? that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is it didn't know him, which brings us to our memory verse for this week, 1 John 3, 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God, but, or and, what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him but we shall see him as he is. Pastor Phil wrote this week, his children must continually be reminded that they are unconditionally loved. So we as God's children must constantly return to the gospel truth where we are forever affirmed as beloved children. The key to imitating God, the key to living out the good news of the gospel, is to believe this truth. You are a beloved child of God. Peter goes on to say in 1 Peter 2, even more of our new identity, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. People, we are a chosen people. Chosen because God wanted us, based on no works of our own. Purely by his grace, he chose us. We're royal priesthood. We're children of the king. Our father is a king. But we're also our own priests. We can come to God at any time now because the sacrifice has been made for us on the cross. Under the law, you couldn't be royal and you couldn't be a priest. You had to be of different families. People would have thought, you're crazy. But in Jesus, all that's been shattered. He's fulfilled it. Now you can be a royalty. You're God's kids, and you have access to God at any time. Amazing. We're a holy nation. Our national boundaries no longer define us. 
Christians are not primarily Americans or primarily British or primarily Mexican or primarily French or primarily African or whatever nation you want to put on there. We are citizens of heaven. We are members of God's kingdom. Yes, we have geopolitical boundaries while we live here on the earth, but this earth is not our home. We are God's special possession. Be sure you read this week in Pastor Phil's work in the workbook. Week four, day one. He outlines all of these things in greater detail, and he summarizes it like this. Let being engulfed in the gaze of the one who has not stopped at death to make you his beloved shape your identity. You are wanted, cherished, redeemed, and beloved. You are his. We don't have time today to develop all of this in chapter 5 where Paul goes on to say, you know what? You're even more than that. You're messengers of reconciliation. You are Christ's ambassadors. You, you, your home is in heaven, but you're living on earth. You're like a foreigner representing another kingdom in a foreign land. You ever feel odd down here at times, like maybe your life is out of step with the world? That's because it is. Your home is in heaven. You're an ambassador for Christ here on earth. And when your ambassadorship is done, you're going home. That's good news. You're also his righteousness, he said, his righteous presence. And you are co-workers with God. The old is gone. The new is here. People, that's good news. The good news of the gospel. And when you know this, it changes the way you live. It changes the way you live. You realize you don't live for yourself anymore. You live for Jesus now. Chapter 5, verse 14, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. In fact, you come to realize at some point that you are so totally new and your old life is so totally gone you don't live anymore at all. You remember what Paul wrote? Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. People, my life, your life isn't defined by how I see myself or how others see me or what the world says about me or my achievements or the car I drive or the neighborhood I'm in or the money I earn or the successes I may achieve. That isn't what defines me. That's not my identity. Life isn't about what I want or about me at all. It's all about Christ and his life that he wants to live in me. That's why Pastor Phil said this week the gospel is more than a collection of theological statements to which we give intellectual assent. Rather, the gospel is the power that radically changes our identity and gives us significance and meaning. In the gospel, we're given our true purpose. It frees us from the oppressive influences of the world that speak seductively to our insecurities and lures us away from the steadfast truth of the gospel. The truth 
that we are more sinful than we realize, and yet we are more loved than we ever dared imagine. A love brought into a sharper focus every time we remember Jesus at this table. That by this sacrifice, our sins are forgiven. People have said to me, Larry, you do this four times on a Sunday. Does it ever get old? I could do this a hundred times on a Sunday. It would never get old. Because this is where I meet Jesus, and he reminds me of what he paid to have me. That my old self truly is gone, and he's making a new man here. And someday I'm going to be like him. And that by that sacrifice and that new identity, I can live a new life. The old is gone, the new is here. I'm not the person I used to be, and if you're a Christian, neither are you. I have a new identity, you have one. I am in Christ and he is in me. I am a Christian. The name means little Christ. That's a lot more than a bumper sticker on my car. This is a life he's called to live in me and through me. And I remember that new identity every time I come to this table. Jesus said, this bread is my body. This cup is my blood. It's given for you. That's why Paul said in chapter 6, verse 2, for he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Let it not be in vain, he said. A salvation that saves us not just to be forgiven for our sin, to become a new person, to be like Jesus. No wonder Jesus said, as often as you eat this, remember me. Remember me, the very one whose identity you now have. Father, this is amazing. This is so far beyond anything I ever knew for most of my life. And yet when I heard the good news and I believed it, you came to live in me and you saved me just like you've saved a ton of people in this room and all over the world from every nation, tribe, language, and tongue. People are turning to Jesus. This isn't about religion. It's about relationship. It's not about us. It's all about you and the new person we are because of you. May it be more of you and less of us in the days ahead, and especially as we remember you today at this table. In Jesus' name, amen.